I sit on the board of Grandbridge Energy, and Grandbridge Energy is the hydro corporation that uh, we both own. Uh, when I say both, I mean we in Cambridge and, and North Dumfries. So we merged Brantford Power with Energy Plus and we created Grandbridge Energy. And because of that, I, I get a lot of information and a lot of call intelligence about our hydro system and its future. And we're at a we're at a, a, a critical junction point because in six to seven years, we're going to have an energy crunch here in Ontario. We won't be producing enough electricity and some of the, with some of the nuclear power plants being phased out, it's going to be more acute. And many people don't realize that. They just think because we've had such an abundance of hydro that that's the way it's always going to be. And when I look into the future over the next five to 10 years, I don't think it's going to be gas-fired power plants. You are listening to the Sustainably Circular podcast. This show is dedicated to the circular economy and how with a few key changes, you can help create a more sustainable world. No scare tactics, no shame. If we are going to do this, we need everyone actively engaged, on board, and including you. Your host is no other than Andy Streisfeld, who is the co-founder and partner at MEA Health, Canada's first stop for PPE recycling. You are here for one thing, to better understand the circular economy and your role in it. Every episode, we dive into the key issues around sustainability and the circular economy so that you can lead others in this new world. So tune into the show, turn up the music volume, and let's get to it. Good Wednesday morning and welcome to the Sustainably Circular Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Streisfeld. This is an exciting time. We're about 30 days away from municipal elections across this, this province. And we are at the culmination of our political campaign. As you remember, we've had various different stratas of the political levels being starting from municipal with city councillors to provincial federal candidates to a provincial political leader. And now it's my pleasure and it's an honor to invite Kevin Davis, who is the mayor of Brantford and one of this country's leading mayors when it comes to climate change and sustainability. We have him here in the studio. Kevin, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Andy. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. So we always start the show with this tradition. Uh, I copied it from the, well, I, I think I, 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 I supplanted it from the actor studio thing. Instead of asking you 20 questions by some sort of French philosopher, I ask you one simple question. What quote, lyric, line, anything in your life motivates you every day to do what you do? Uh, I don't, it's not so much a lyric as a person. I think that more inspires me. You know, really common people who are dealing, dealing with adversity and persevere, they really inspire. I mean, I've met many people like that. But in terms of historical figures, you know, there are two in particular that uh, inspire me. One is probably the best president the United States has ever had, and that's, of course, Abraham Lincoln. And then Winston Churchill. And Winston Churchill in particular, because he had a tremendous command of the English language. And he had a lot to teach us about courage and persistence and leadership. And a couple of the quotes, there are many quotes that you could attribute to him. But uh, for what I've looked at, especially through COVID, which were very trying times, was his quote to never, never, ever give up. And another one that I found particularly inspiring is 
Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. And you know, I tell people that being a, an elected official, like a mayor, it's almost like playing baseball and you're batting. And you, you can't expect to hit a thousand. You hope to get, let's say, 700, you know, 0.750. But the important thing about baseball is that you always continue to step up to the plate and continue swinging. And I think these, this, these two quotes from Winston Churchill, they, they say the same thing or they speak to the same thing, which is if you're going to be an elected official, if you want to change your community for the better, you're going to have to make some changes. And change is, it's difficult. And, and people, some people will be upset by change. And if you really truly believe the changes that, that you're working towards will help your community, then you, you've got to persevere. I mean, you listen and sometimes you amend what you're doing. Sometimes you discontinue what you're doing, but you, you don't lose sight of the goal. And just because it's hard, you don't give up. Those are key concepts and, and covenants that have come through. And I can understand now why you do what you do. And, and, that, and that leads us right into, I guess, this, this tumultuous conversation that everyone has regarding the climate. Now, this show is about sustainability. It's about the circular economy. We'll we'll talk more about that as we as we move forward in the con. But we 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 talk about Kevin Davis for a moment. We get to know the man, the myth, the legend. This is you. So you are from the West, born and raised, I believe, in Calgary. You have been brought here to to our our, our land here by the by the Grand River, and you were a counselor. You were a city. Uh, you've been involved um, with a lot of the city services, including the chamber and Rotary and all. And you are uh, our first first-term mayor, and now you are running for a second. So with Churchill's comments right now in your ear, and change is a coming because it has to after COVID, um, tell us more about Kevin Davis the man. Well, Kevin Davis the man. So you mentioned that I grew up in Calgary. In fact, uh, my predecessors actually homesteaded in Alberta uh, back uh, before 1900. And have many friends and family that still live in Alberta. Some of them depend upon the oil industry. So you can imagine, I mean, that would have shaped my view of climate change, my original view of climate change. And, it, it, you know, it's amazing when you go through the elective process and you make decisions that are for the benefit of your community and the, the greater community as well, like Ontario, because the decisions each mayor makes and each council makes has an impact on what's done provincially. And I got to say, you know, on, on the environment, I've done like a complete turnaround from where I was, let's say, five or 10 years ago. And a lot of that's due in part to one counselor in particular, uh, Councillor Antosky. And as you know, she's not running again, which, um, uh, you know, I'm very disappointed that she's not. I understand why she's not. But she brought early in the term uh, a resolution adopting a climate change emergency declaration. You know, at first I was kind of skeptical and really because... You know, everything that China is doing, uh, for example, they continue to build coal-fired power plants and continue to pump out a lot of CO2. So you, you almost can feel like, well, is there anything we're going to do? Is that going to make a difference? But Cheryl convinced me, no, it's important what each city does and that over the course of time, that'll have a cumulative impact to bring about change. And so we each have, each city has, albeit a small role to play, but it's important an important role to play for our community. And symbolically, it's also important 
for the, the you know the greater good of the world. I mean, the more cities that do this, the more provinces and countries, uh, you, and you can see that happening. The momentum builds and the pressure increases on the bad actors to clean up their act. Yeah, total agreement there. And I think uh, for those who are listening, if I, if I tuned into that city council meeting when it was de- when it was declared, and you, you had a really good quote. And you said that, and, and I'm just paraphrasing, if you don't follow through with something, then what you've done is meaningless. But what I've seen you've done in the leadership role, and, and Cheryl Antosky was on the show. She actually was interviewed uh, as our starting um, our, our starting person in, in this four-arc uh, four series. And, and she talked about how real change comes from municipalities, comes from municipal politics. And it's, it's provinces and federals that follow that because we are the rawest form of democracy. But your quote was right in the fact that if you if you don't do it if if you if you just talk about it and it just becomes meaningless. But you've what I've understand here is you set us on a goal in 2021. Um, you you are now focusing on the city's footprint, mitigating it, adopting a climate change that uh, measures carbon impact from all council decisions that are made, like either the renovation of the police department or other stuff. You're making city buildings more efficient. You are moving towards an electrified fleet of buses uh, or city vehicles, and you are seeking partnerships for recycling and the use uh, in, in the use of food and waste, and that now in plastics and, and others. And you're continuing to invest in the flood mitigation, which is a big problem on the Grand River, and protection measures, while also developing and expanding the park system, which everyone agrees is a is a, a fantastic initiative uh, when we come to turning back the dial on carbon. So, first of all, uh, kudos and are you done? Oh, really? We've just started. This is this is the uh, this is another <laughs> Churchill quote. This is this is the end of the beginning. There's a lot more to be done, and it has to be a sustained effort because you go back to that resolution, and it was I think it was passed unanimously. Now, did everyone take it to heart? Well, I guess you could wonder, but I took the view: look, if we're going to make something a declaration and say it's an emergency and then we do nothing, well, what'd you pass the resolution for? It, to me, it spoke to a basic principle that this council wanted to follow and wanted that commitment to underlie our decision-making. In fact, part of that resolution was that every time we were making a decision about our municipal infrastructure, there's a section in each of those reports that details for us the, the climate impact of that decision. And so, in fact, we're, I think we're at the forefront of municipalities in Ontario that are doing that. Some others are now doing the same thing. And so that's, that's a demonstration of if you're going to do something about this very large problem, it has to be a day in, day out, month in, month out, sustained effort. And I think this council has demonstrated its commitment in a lot of different ways. And We've gone through it step by step. And so we've looked at our fleet and we're now moving to electrify our fleet. The fleet being, for example, the vehicles, the by-law enforcement officers use. Uh, those are now electric. And we're now looking at converting all our pickup trucks. We're looking at converting our transit fleet. And, and that's a challenge right now because the technology hasn't quite been perfected, but I have no doubt it will be in the next year or two. And we're already preparing for it, looking at our our transit barn and knowing we're going to have to move it because of the need to have uh, charging stations and increase the hydro input into that uh, transit barn. The, the big challenge will be the heavy equipment we use. 
it's hard to electrify that. I suspect the answer to that will be probably hydrogen-based. And again, when you look at the manufacturers, I think they're moving that way. The big challenge for us is the other 50% of the carbon we produce as a city corporation is how we heat our building. And primarily, like most organizations in Canada, it's been natural gas. And that certainly was an improvement over what it was before, but it, it doesn't get you to the end goal, which is uh, zero carbon. And so we're now looking at how do we how do we address that? And you can't do it just through efficiency, making buildings more energy efficient. That's important. But it means you're going to have to change where you get the heat from to heat your building and where you get the power from to cool a building in the summer. And yes, you're right. We've made a decision this past month that our next big building project, which is a rebuild of the police station, we're going to make it zero a zero carbon building that'll be through uh, some kind of a heat pump system either taking heat from the ground or the air and then also a, a lot of solar panels so that the hydro used by the building is generated by the panels that uh, are on top of the building it's really really exciting there is a premium for it that it's going to be more expensive but as i said when we debated it we have to accept at this time that these measures they will be uh, slightly more expensive. But when you're making a decision about climate change, it's not just dollars and cents. It's important. Uh, but more importantly is, does it significantly contribute to the goal, which is zero carbon? There's a lot of other decisions we've been making about our landfill site. When we were elected four years ago, there really was no plan to re divert more of the waste from the landfill site. And the rate at which we're doing right now is 20% diverted, really just from the traditional old blue box program. And now we decided, no, we're going to rapidly advance the adoption of a green bin organic system that will divert waste, but also there's a climate impact of that to, for the good. But over the next 20 years, we want to get to 80% uh, being diverted. So every year, people will see a change in what we're doing and how we handle waste. So there's a big climate impact from that, but also it for future generations, it means they will not have to be looking at finding a new landfill site. We hope for at least 67 years. And that is, that's a big factor because it, it's very difficult to do that and very expensive. And sometimes you just can't do it. So I, I feel quite proud about that. That's, I think that's a great achievement, but we're on our, and like I said, that's, so that's the beginning of the path to diverting as much as you possibly can from your landfill site. Well, speaking as a person who deals with diversion of waste every day, I applaud you. This is the right way to go. And, and you know, one of my favorite Churchill quotes um, was always, fear is a reaction, courage is a decision. And you are very courageous and, and leading your counsel uh, in this courageous way is is inspiring, you know, from, from someone like myself, who's a political nerd, but also someone who cares about the environment. But speaking about the fear, I, I want to come back for a moment here, because I want to, I want to switch gears for a moment, uh, move away from Kevin, the man, the mayor, and move towards what's happening today. And then I, I want to get a, a part of this whole series. We've spoken to Carly Sordas, who was a provincial and a federal candidate for the Green Party. We spoke to Cheryl Antosky, who spoke about her successes and her concerns at the municipal level. We, we spoke uh, with Mike Schreiner. And uh, here's a, a common theme that I, I want to throw back to you as a, as a leader of a community, a leader who who sits on, you know, a Canadian mayor's 
federation and, and or the federation of uh, municip- Canadian municipalities. Uh, I want to throw this question about fear. Um, there's a lot of fear mongering that what you do is not good enough. Uh, what you do is detrimental. Um, but let's get, let's get a, let's get your opinion as the mayor of Brantford. And then I'll ask you another question afterwards. Like, how do you, how do you get above this fear? Like, how do you ignore the fear and move towards the courageous decision? Yeah, that's interesting because, so I have two perspectives because of my age uh, and the fact that I was on, uh, on council, I was a counselor for six years in the 1980s, predating almost the internet and, and certainly no social media. At that time it was telephone calls and letters to the editor and letters and maybe facts. And, and so now, of course, I've had four years as an elected official, an entirely different uh, environment. And I'm talking about social media in particular. So it people back in the 80s were equally critical, maybe a little more constructively critical. And yeah, I think the that that kind of um that challenge that is there is much greater now, primarily because of social media and social media, the way it, it ramps up certain uh, divergent viewpoints and and really almost it's like blowing on the ember, so to speak, to create a flame. And then it, it really ramps that up. And uh, you've seen it, for example, in the Trump, how Trump has, how he came to power and how he used social media. And Many others are following that same playbook. And unfortunately, it means that many times the debate is far more divisive than, than it was in years past. And it means that for you to stick to your guns and carry through and do what it is that you think needs to be done, it's much more difficult, much more challenging. It requires more courage. But at the same time, social media does have, uh, it does have a very good, there is a good element to it, and that is getting input and getting feedback because many of the people who are on social media, they'll tend to be very uh, civil in their discourse and raise really good legitimate points, which I, I try to, so I try to listen to those voices and I try to keep out of my head those voices that don't have that, uh, that type of motivation and are motivated by something else. It's hard to do because everyone I'm sure almost everyone is impacted when things are said very negatively about you. But I always try to say to people, look, it's not about personalities. It's not about whether a person's a good or bad person. It's about the issue. Let's talk about the issue and let's stick to that debate. If we can do more of that, then I think the public discourse will be much more productive. That is that is totally true and, and on target. So we've now moved to 2016. 2016 is um, called the International Call for Climate Emergencies. Um, in 2019, Canada steps up, does it. In 2020, we begin COVID. I remember where I was on January 20th when I saw the Wuhan reports. And then with I was a medical sales rep. I was selling masks, gowns, all the stuff that was going into landfill. And sustainability was, was ignored. And then by March, Trump closes the border. Canada can't get its materials. And the growth of Canadian PP home industry starts and leads to the end of 2020 with the prime minister concerned that 68,000 tons of PP waste was going into the landfill, not figuring out the four times as much greater quantity that was coming out of the hospitals and dentistry and veterinary 
it was an, a worldwide disaster. Now, the the funny thing is, we we mentioned Churchill, and now Churchill Churchill was a wartime leader, uh, just like Trudeau, just like yourself. What lesson did you learn from the history? Because you actually share that history now. COVID is a war. It was a war. And it led to what's going on in today's world with the rise of the, the I don't even call them the new right. I think they're the old right and a right that is not very palatable. However, the Russia invading Ukraine, um, your stance as well as mine in, in response to the Ukrainian refugee situation, you are, are and still is a wartime leader. So what what parallels can you feel that you've learned from the days of Churchill? And then that will lead me to my secondary question afterwards. Yeah, that's, that reminds me that there's so many quotes you can attribute to Churchill that uh, there was one of his that something along the lines of, you know, in every cloud there's a silver lining. And I think his, his quote was something about um, a pessimist, simply all they see is difficulty and in every opportunity, whereas an optimist will see an opportunity in every difficulty. And and when we, when COVID struck, after we got over the initial shock and uh, came to realize we could adapt and deal with it, and we then began to look at when I say we, I mean myself and council and senior management at the city. How can we take this challenge and how can we turn it into an opportunity? for our city. And it, what I'm talking about is how the city runs, its administrative structure and the people that are in that administrative structure. And so COVID forced onto the, the city organization uh, a requirement that it, that it act quickly, that it's, I can't remember how many times I've heard this, you know, be able to turn or pivot. And, but more importantly, various departments and outside agencies, we had to come together to work together to protect our community and its residents. And not only that you work together, but you come to understand one another better and what the challenges are for each department and every organization. When you understand who it is you're dealing with and working with, then you can work together better. And so that's the outcome, I think, that we have a city administration now that I think is better equipped and better able to deal with the many challenges and opportunities we have. And to see opportunity and to grab opportunity when it exists and when it's there to benefit our community and future generations. So the secondary question is, it's, it's based on leadership, it's based on the experience. So now we, we are in 2022. We are in an election year. We saw a stunning, I, 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 I like to call it stunning more than horrific, I, more, more than fear itself. But we saw in a provincial election an ap- apathetic voter turnout that led to the return of the incumbent. Now, that is, from a political science history point of view, that's in a sense normal because you never change a horse within the extreme and a wartime leader, good or bad, is a wartime leader, not saying anything here. However, the conservative government of the time meeting today has made it very clear that the environment is not anywhere on their radar. Uh, their their limitation to environmental friendliness is the creation of, of uh, electric battery plans for cars. Other people have lobbied and have expressed their concerns. Um, in today's world, here in, in our little neck of the word, world, we're losing, we've lost and we are losing um, two voices. Tracy Bucci, who I tried to, to acknowledge, uh, passed away last year. And um, she was not only a proponent of environmental, 
Uh, she she led the river cleanups. Um, I understand that groups like the Rotary and others are have taken up that mantle. We mentioned Cheryl Antosky, who was t- tireless, a crusader for sustainability, who helped draft um, a lot of the, the stuff that comes through council regarding sustainability. And now I look at the the slate of people that are running for, for office outside of yourself or for mayor, and I see no one acknowledging the past, no one, no one acknowledging who's going to take over the mantle, not even people who are in uh, Cheryl Antosky's ward. And I ask, um, are you that person? Will you take the mantle for Cheryl? Will you lead and help cultivate a new generation of environmental people who will focus on sustainability and circular economy? Yeah, yeah, I do intend to take that on. If, I'm hoping that some of there will be other councillors that uh, would be, will be interested in this. But I think I'm also in a unique position because I sit on the board of Granbridge Energy, and Granbridge Energy is the hydro corporation that uh, we both own. Uh, when I say both, I mean we in Cambridge and and North Dumfries. So we merged Brantford Power with Energy Plus, and we created Granbridge Energy. And because of that, I, I get a lot of information and a lot of call intelligence about our hydro system and its future. And we're at a we're at a, a, a critical junction point because in six to seven years, we're going to have an energy crunch here in Ontario. We won't be producing enough electricity. And some of the with some of the nuclear power plants being phased out, it's going to be more acute. And many people don't realize that. They just think because we've had such an abundance of hydro that that's the way it's always going to be. And when I look into the future over the next five to 10 years, I don't think it's going to be gas-fired power plants. I think what we should be focusing on is energy storage. And municipalities and uh, local municipal hydro corporations should be getting very actively involved in that. And so that's when you take power and you store it when the demand is low, usually in the middle of the night, uh, or even when the wind's blowing or the sun's shining, and then you keep it and then you release it when it's needed at peak power periods. And another, another example of that is our whole power system. If you think of the QEW, and we all know what the QEW looks like during rush hour, it's gridlock. Well, our power system is designed so that there is never any gridlock. So it's designed or the five to 10 times a year when the power demand is off, you know, is at its peak. And the rest of the time, it really runs at about 10 to 15%. So it'd be like the QEW being 15 lanes so that you could have smooth traffic at rush hour. But of course, then every other part of the day, it'd be running at, there'd be very few cars on the road for 12 lanes. And so energy storage, what it does is, it, it means you don't have to build your generating capacity uh, to meet that peak demand because you'll take the power when it's being produced, store it, and then you use it to smooth out those peak demands. And that means that uh, as well that you can pull power off uh, solar, solar and wind when the sun's shining and the wind's blowing, store it, and then use it when it's not. And I think that is really going to be those are going to be the power plants of the future. And, you know, Ontario, we're just beginning, I think, to wake up to this. 
And fortunately, there are leaders in the in the hydro industry that are sending out that message that uh, to local municipal hydro corps and even municipal corporations start thinking about this, start investing in it. One, it, you'll be able to make a lot of money for your community, but more importantly, you'll be helping uh, our hydro system across the province. And so that's an example of information I have that comes to me by sitting on that board. And so when I can look at now sitting as a council member, I think I should be able to use that, that information, that knowledge to good effect in our community. And, and how do I do that? By continuing to take a lead role in respect to climate change. So far in the last three years, it's really been Cheryl Antosky leading, and I'm a big supporter and I've been right with her all the way, but we're gonna need a new champion uh, because as I said, this effort, it, it's a continuous effort over the next several decades. And I'd like to, for as long as I'm going to be with the city to try and lead that effort, not just myself, but uh, hopefully with other council members that want to take up that mantle as well. Kevin Davis, you have been a fantastic guest and we have given us hope and, and positive feelings for the future. I wish you the best in, in your elections coming up uh, on election day on, on the 24th of October. For those, uh, just stick with us on the, while we uh, conclude here. So for those of you who love the show and would like to learn more about sustainability, would like to learn more about Kevin Davis and, and, and the decisions and that council has made and his um, activism, please look at the show notes that will be attached to this uh, podcast um, located on all podcasting sites like Apple and Spotify. And if you really like what you see, please email us at info at sustainablycircular.ca. Ask us any questions. Any questions for Mayor Davis, please forward it to us. I, I believe we'll also have an email um, contact for you to contact the mayor directly if there's any questions. In regards to Brantford, um, Kevin, again, thank you so much. Mayor Davis, excuse me. Thank you very much for being with us on the show. And uh, I'm, uh, again, if, are there any closing comments, anything else that you'd like the, the listenership to know before we sign off? Well, first of all, Andy, I'd like my friends to call me Kevin. Well, I will probably it, it, it keeps me in perspective. I wish everyone that they that they will have a very good fall and that uh, that you too find the courage to make those important decisions through your life to benefit yourself and your family and your colleagues. You know, life isn't meant to be easy, right? Life is full of challenges. But what a thrill it is when you overcome a challenge and turn it into a great opportunity through your own initiative perseverance, and courage. That's very empowering. And I hope for the listeners that uh, you too can experience that for your benefit and the benefit of your community. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Sustainably Circular podcast. If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whichever podcast platform you're tuning in from. Much like this show, Andy and the team love getting into the good and the bad and everything in between. So feel free to express yourself in the reviews of the show and we will give you a shout out on the next episode. If the episode made you think of someone that needs to hear this message, take a screenshot, send them a message or discuss it with them over coffee. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all in this together. In case you want to learn more about how we can help you with PPE recycling, please visit our website at www.meahealth.ca. Once again, it's www.meahealth.ca. 
We appreciate you and can't wait for you to join us for the next episode.